John White here with uh, Stories from the Revolution. In these episodes, I kind of say this every time, right? Uh, we are talking about the massive spiritual paradigm shift currently underway in the U.S. and around the world. This is episode 55. I like that phrase, uh, paradigm shift. And it's like every day almost we are seeing uh, evidence of that. Uh, recently, I was talking to a, a new friend. He is an elder in a pretty good-sized Presbyterian church. It's actually the church that I attended for a while when I was in college. And he was saying that as a result of, of COVID, that the number of people on Sunday morning has dwindled to like about 60, which is um, you know really, really small. And a lot of them are older folks. And he said, um, I, I really wish that I could do something about that. How do I fix that? But I, I don't know how. And I said to him, you know, um, I think I might be able to help. And I sent him the first three episodes, first four episodes of this podcast, Stories from the Revolution. Um, and then I talked to him just in this last week. He had listened to all four of those episodes. And, and he said, I really like this. I think this is what we need in our church. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share this with the pastor and suggest that we, as the uh, the elders of the church, that we listen to these. Um, so I think, you know, that's an example of the paradigm shifting. He also said, hey, I want to go through Church 101. Uh, I think maybe after the first of the year that uh, that I'll be able to do that. So that's encouraging. And we're, we're just hearing stories like that um, all of the time, even in the context of traditional churches. Some, some people have left traditional church. Those would be the Duns. And I remember Josh Packard's research indicated there are 65 million of these Duns. That's just still a stunning number. Uh, hard, hard to believe. Uh, people that have left the church and aren't going back. And, and a lot of them are leaders, uh, pastors, elders, people like that. But then there are also lots of folks still in traditional church, but who are are really struggling, uh, frustrated, like my friend. Um, I saw that George Barna recent research indicated that 36% of pastors of traditional church uh, report that they've thought about leaving. That's an astounding number. And I, I personally feel a lot of compassion and tenderness for leaders and pastors of traditional churches. It's, it's really, really difficult these days. And what we're finding is that the work that we're doing in Luke 10 works for people that have left that are interested in starting sort of an autonomous, semi-connected uh, house church. Uh, we can train people on how to do that, but we also can train people in traditional churches on how to start uh, small groups that are, are really uh, intimate and significant and transformational. <clears throat> Used to be sort of it was one or the other, but it's sort of a both and now. So anyway, paradigm shift. That's what we're talking about in these episodes. We're telling stories and sharing things <clears throat> that we're learning about this paradigm shift. So uh, currently with the episodes, uh, I've been focusing on this question from Tim Ferriss. I love this question. What would this look like if it were easy? And, and the this can relate to all kinds of different things. You can fill in the blank there for um, almost anything. So I've been asking the coach about that, the Holy Spirit, 
uh, what do you want me to know about this question? What would this look like if it were easy? And here's what I felt like the coach said to me just in this last week. He said, let's apply this question to the church. What would church look like if it were easy? And he said, in this episode, I want you to talk about what you've learned over the years on this topic. He said, you and I have been talking about this since you were on staff with a mega church in Denver in the late 80s. So, okay, uh, here's the story. Let me give you the context first off. It's the late 1980s. Um, I'm on staff with a large, fast-growing evangelical church in Denver. Um, I was one of I was on the pastoral staff, one of the pastors, and my role was director of adult ministries. So this involves small groups, men's ministry, women's ministry, and various other things. So this was a big church. Uh, every weekend, well, first of all, the sanctuary sat about 900 people, and it was almost filled uh, four times every weekend. So three to four thousand people. Uh, in this church on a typical weekend. Lots of activity, lots of excitement, lots of people. It was one of the biggest, fastest growing churches in Denver. And on one level, it was very exciting. On another level, it was also very exhausting. Um, Occasionally, when the senior pastor was out of town, I would be asked to preach. Again, we had a Saturday night service, and then we had four services on Sunday morning. And I remember that by the fourth service, I could barely remember my own name. Um, it was it was such an exhausting experience. I don't know how that senior pastor did it uh, every week. So that's the context. I'm in the midst of, of this church, um, all the activity. And one day I had an epiphany. Now, let me explain what an epiphany is. I like words, and epiphany, I think, is a fascinating word. Let's take a minute on that before I explain the content of this epiphany. And I think epiphanies are one of the ways that God communicates with us. Um, So it's it's a compound Greek word. So the word phaino means to manifest or appear. So epiphany, phaino, that's the second part of the word to manifest or to appear. Then there's a prefix epi, which means in this case, fitting. So to appear in a fitting or appropriate way. And in our context, it means a moment in which you suddenly see or understand something in a new or very clear way. Or we might say a flash of insight that is exactly what is needed in the moment. It's fitting, it's appropriate for the moment. This is not an insight arrived at by rational thought or left brain activity. It's simply something that appears out of the blue, as it were. So one day, uh, while I was on staff with this church, I had this epiphany. And I I imagined uh, the Apostle Paul somehow being transported through time and showing up on Sunday morning at one of our worship services. And I could, in my mind, I could sort of see him sitting in the back of the church. And when the service was over, I I went over to him and asked him what he thought of church. And in my mind, what I heard him say was this. I don't know exactly what that was. It wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it wasn't church. Well, that's kind of a stunning thought for me at the time, because, uh, again, we were a solidly biblical, Bible-believing church. 
Here's the phrase that we would use. We would say the Bible is our authoritative guide for faith and practice. Practice is the key word here. Could it be possible that Paul, and again, I know this is just in my imagination, but I think it holds some truth here. Could it be possible that Paul, the very person responsible for a significant part of the New Testament, wouldn't recognize the way that we were practicing church as being consistent with the way church was practiced in the New Testament. Is that possible? And the more I thought about it, it occurred to me that there were at least four ways that our practice differed from the practice in the New Testament. Number one, um, I, I came to understand that every church mentioned in the New Testament met in a home and functioned like a small spiritual family. So, for instance, in the end of Romans, Romans 16, <clears throat> Paul mentions the church that meets at Priscilla and Aquila's home. So, church meeting in home. Every church mentioned in the Bible, mentioned in the Bible met in a home. In 1 Timothy 3.15, Paul says this, uh, If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. The Greek word is oikos, household which is the church of the living God. So in the New Testament, um, church was highly relational. Uh, it was family-like. <clears throat> and that's really what we're about in Luke 10. Uh, training people how to connect with one another on the heart level. That's one of our key values. The church that I was on staff, however, you could attend church every single week and never even sit next to the same person let alone have intimate relationships. <clears throat> now, we might have said, oh, but we have small groups. Um, but there were problems with that. Only a small percentage of people actually were in a small group. And that wasn't considered church. Uh, that was sort of extra. And the churches, the, the small groups that we had were mostly like Bible studies or book studies, and they were largely left-brained. So that was the first way that our church, the practice of church, was was significantly different from what we saw in the New Testament. Here's the second way. Um, church in the New Testament was highly participatory. In fact, everyone participated. This is that verse that was transformational for me. 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Uh, this is where Paul says, What shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a word of instruction, a hymn, and so on. And the key word there is everyone. Everyone participated in church. Watchman Nee, the famous Chinese Christian, at one point said that he could summarize New Testament church in one word. And that word was mutuality. That is, everybody participated. It was mutual. The church where I was on staff, however, what was true was that when we did church, only a very few highly gifted, highly educated people were allowed to speak or play a role. Uh, I sometimes would imagine somebody in the midst of our church on Sunday morning or Saturday night taking seriously the, uh, this idea of everyone having a voice. I could imagine somebody in the middle of the, of the service standing up and saying, excuse me, I have a verse to share or I have a story that I'd like to tell. And I could imagine the, the ushers coming down and ushering them out because there just wasn't time to do that sort of thing. Um, 
So that was a way in which our practice was very different from New Testament practice of church. Here's the third way. In the New Testament, it was true that Jesus brought the agenda. Um, I think that's what it means in Matthew 16, where Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Uh, Jesus was the head of the church and he was the one who brought the agenda. In our church, I would say it's more accurate to say that we developed the program, the pastoral staff. We, we entered into what we kind of now call the figure it out room. That's kind of a new phrase we're using in Luke 10. So the alternate, it's, you know, if we're, if we're not Jesus led, what exactly are we doing? Well, functionally, it becomes our job as leaders to kind of figure out what to do. Again, I had sort of this, imagine, my imagination got me into trouble, but I had this imagination that uh, what if Jesus actually physically showed up in the flesh on Sunday morning in our church? And I could imagine, and this is again, I don't know if this is true or not, but I could imagine us saying to Jesus, you know, we have this service all figured out. We have a bulletin and it's all planned out. And so could, could you sit down and wait until this service is over and then we can talk? Don't know if that's true or not, but that's kind of what it seemed like might have happened. All right. Fourth uh, issue about practice. The New Testament practice of church was very simple. Um, it was a few years later that this, I had another epiphany, and it was this term. We were t- thinking about what exactly do we call church? We call it house church, home church, um, small groups. What's the best name? And one of the names that came up, and I've come to believe that that all those names, you can pick whichever one you want. It's more about what you do than what you call it. But one of the terms that we, we began to really like is what we called simple church. And we described that or defined that as a way of doing and being church that was so simple that any believer could say, well, I could do that. The church had become very complex. That's the church that I was on staff very complex. It took lots of money, lots of time, lots of training to pull this off. It was only done by highly trained professionals. And this is where the word easy comes in. You know, what would it be like if church was easy? Well, it would be simple. So words like simple and easy um, are, are, I think, very close together. So simple and so easy that any follower of Jesus could say, I could do that. So there's a four ways in which um, the church that I was on staff with, uh, that our practice of church, in my opinion, had departed significantly from the practice of church in the New Testament. Okay, uh, next episode, I'm going to be talking more about what would church look like if it were easy. Again, we could almost interchange the word simple. Or, or easy? What would church look like if it were simple? And I'll share with you how I learned to start new churches in as little as 30 minutes. So that's coming up. I'm John White, and more to come. <music>